Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you meet us in this time. We thank you that your word is the answer for every day and age and every trouble, every tribulation, your promises, the revelation of who you are is your answer, God, for every trial that we go through. And we thank you, Lord, that you don't only give us comfort. We thank you that you allow us to go through trials, testing, and temptation so that it would continue to birth in us the growth pattern of becoming like your son, perfect, needing nothing, as it says in James 1. So, Lord Jesus, we also thank you, God, that during times like this, we can be reminded of what is most important. In particular, God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, that we have your word to access no matter where we are and that your word cannot be quarantined and your word cannot be um, sickened. It is healthy, it's living and active, and it always speaks to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. So we thank you for caring for us by giving us your word, by giving us your son, our daily bread that keeps us healthy in our spiritual souls, our spiritual stomachs. We also thank you, Father God, that in this time we're reminded that the presence of your people is a gift. And as we can't gather together, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that for all the times, God, that we can gather together and we're reminded of how precious that is. Lord Jesus, we thank you that as we read your word today, we see that your word is the answer and that you are faithful throughout the ages. Whether it was thousands of years ago, before Christ, to Israel and Judah, you were faithful to Habakkuk's time and to our time here in Chicago or globally across the world in these strange, weird, unique times that bring up so many different emotions, you are faithful. As we open the word together, I pray, Lord God, that even though it be through video, I pray that your spirit would teach us all and would encourage us, God, in our faith and encourage us that the righteous ones that have been called out by God to live according to God's word and fellowship with God will live by faith, a persevering faith. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to uh, start today by having you open up the word to the minor prophet in the book of Habakkuk. I want to make a special note, especially for the Edgewater family. We typically are opening up the translation, the ESV. I'll be preaching and referencing from the New Living Translation, the NLT. Um, I think in this instance, especially with video and the, the span of material we need to get through, uh, the language is very helpful in the NLT. Um, so just if you want to look that up on your phone, your computer, it's free. Uh, if you have an ESV at home but you need an NLT, just look up New Living Translation and open up or scroll, right, uh, to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. It's a very small book uh, but a very powerful book. Pause and let you do that. Have you ever had a problem with God and his plan? Let me rephrase that. Have you ever had a problem 
with God? Have you ever wrestled with God and been perplexed or puzzled by God's ways? Have you ever looked at God and said, where are you? (laughs) I don't see you working in my world. Have you ever been confused by what you felt like was the lack of the presence of God or God's movement in your life, in your world, in your family, in your community, or perhaps now in these trying times with news that shakes us up and a virus that seems hard to contain and and a, a, a global pandemic that has shaken the nations and put industries and economies in a place of vulnerability. Have you ever looked around, whether that or something else, and said, God, where are you? I'm sure all of us who walk with the Lord and know God through faith in Jesus Christ have been here, and often, if you walk long enough with God. But you see, trials come to every saint, to every person that is called by God, trials come and are actually a tool that God uses to accomplish many things. We see that in Habakkuk, and we're going to dive into that today. But I want to present the the framework for how we perceive or look into Habakkuk and this conversation we're going to see between him and God. I want to frame it with a familiar passage, James 1. You don't need to look there. You don't need to go there. You probably know the phrase when it says in James 1, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. (laughs) You might say after hearing that, man, Esteban, now I'm even more perplexed about God. So you want me to look at, at trials and actually look at them as opportunities, as opportunities for not just uh, great complaining or great fear, but for great joy. That, that seems like such an upside-down way of thinking about trials, about things that cause us to fear or feel anxiety or are hard, things that we hate. You actually want us to see it, God, as something that would bring joy out of us. And God's answer for that is yes, Exactly. Because God has a plan and a purpose for every trial that comes to us. And the more and more that we can accept that and let God refine us in that, the more we will grow in Christ Jesus. Actually, as a side note, you can really determine the strength of your faith in Christ quite often by how you respond to not comfort, not good things, but trials. But it doesn't mean that walking with, in, in faith with Christ, walking with God, doesn't um, perplex us at times or many times. Listen, I want to start with these statements, though. God is not asleep when trials of all kinds hit our doorstep. Matter of fact, we see in James 1, if he considers it an opportunity for us, then you know that he is seeing it as an opportunity to do work in our life. God is awake and working even in, and I would say this, especially when we are perplexed in trying times. Trials are God's greatest instrument in cleaning his people and humbling people that don't know him, non-believers in Christ. It's his greatest instrument in bringing them to himself. 
what is God doing in the nation right now? What is God doing in the nations right now as this global pandemic spreads? Well, I'll tell you one thing. I bet all of us have taken pause more than we have before, perhaps, to look at what matters most in our lives. God has a way of using trials to humble us. Working through the perplexity of these trials, though, it's his intent to bring us through them to rejoicing. We see that in Habakkuk. You know, I, wanna, I want you to imagine the passage we just read in James, and I want you to imagine if you, uh, you kind of went backwards in time and James came before Habakkuk, which isn't the truth. Habakkuk became before the epistle of James, Old Testament, New Testament. But I want to frame it this way. If, if Habakkuk heard James 1 that says, Dear brothers, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. I want you to imagine Habakkuk responding by saying, hey, I got a personal experience that will show you what James just said that happened in my life and in my nation's life when great trials came to me. I want you to imagine a real life conversation that I had with God, Habakkuk speaking, that I wrote down in a journal and now I want to share it with you. You see, that's what Habakkuk is. It's what we read in James about trials becoming uh, a, a, an opportunity for great joy. But in Habakkuk, we get to see a, a conversation between Habakkuk and God fleshing out this timeless principle of God using trials to accomplish the purpose in his people. Habakkuk is three chapters, and I want to give a little bit of context as we go into Habakkuk's journal, per se, or his conversation with God. You see, Habakkuk is um, written during a time when his nation was crumbling. Israel used to be one nation, and then it got split into two. The northern kingdom was ransacked. Um, Israel was taken over by uh, an evil people, the Assyrians. Uh, back in the day. And so they were already in shambles. The southern kingdom of Judah had yet to fall. Habakkuk was there. And yet when he looked around, he saw very dire times, very depressing times, both internally in his own country and externally, knowing that the threat of the Babylonians, a new enemy, was coming to conquer them. And so Habakkuk looks around and he cries out to God, perplexed, as he works through his faith, fighting for his faith that God is near, that he's, that he's with him, and that he has a plan in these dire situations. You see, we're not the only one who have ever faced trials. Can you imagine being Habakkuk, sitting there in his city and saying, the Babylonians are coming, Israel is corrupt Nobody respects the word of God anymore. My world is chaos and it is falling. That's where Habakkuk is talking to God and eventually wrote it down for us. You see, Habakkuk represents a message that is applied to every generation. It was hard for me to narrow down one message from Habakkuk. You see, in these three small chapters, there are a galore of messages for us as Christians. 
There's a few different characters that we want to look at in Habakkuk. Obviously, you've heard it's him talking to God, but there's two other characters that are really important. You have unrighteous Israel, the nation that he's in, or, or the kingdom of Judah, I'm sorry, and then you have the Babylonians, the, the, the evil Babylonians who were the world power at that time, and they, they were merciless, they were, um, they were violent, and they consumed other nations. Perhaps you know much about them. They're referenced often in the, in the prophets of the Old Testament and history as being a very intimidating, gruesome, powerful nation. The structure of this literature, as you're going to hear as we go back and forth, it's, 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 it goes from complaint to God's answer. Habakkuk has a second complaint, and then it goes to another answer, and then it resolves in an incredible, incredible um, song and praise to God that Habakkuk ends with. So we want to take you through, I want to take you through this um, kind of moment by moment so that we can walk with them, uh, walk with Habakkuk and God through their dialogue and then see how it applies to us. As we go, I will highlight what I believe are some, some main points and applications along the way. There's a lot of them here. So I encourage you to dive into Habakkuk. You, you probably have more time right now, so dive into the Word of God. But I encourage you to dive in because there's a lot of other points that I'm not even going to make today that would bless you and refine your thinking during this time. So I want to start with Habakkuk chapter 1, 1 through 4. And generally speaking, Habakkuk is complaining to God, and he's saying, look around you. God's people are corrupt. The wicked are winning. Your word has no effect on people anymore. Let me say that again. He's saying the Torah, the law, has no effect. It's paralyzed. It it, it doesn't have any effect on Israel anymore. Injustice rules the day, and he finally says, God, where are you? And how long do I have to look at this? So read with me, Habakkuk 1 Verse 2, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Have you ever been there? Why must I watch all this misery? Have you ever said that? (laughs) Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. And he shows us the reason right here. The law, meaning the word of God, has become paralyzed. And there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that the justice has, so that justice has become perverted. There's a lot of strong imagery there, a lot of strong words. I want to pull this out from here. Habakkuk is looking for God's presence. Where are you, God? And how long must I see the effects of what a nation looks like when they don't love or listen or follow God? God's people had become corrupt because they forgot God's word and they stopped obeying God's word. In a sense, you could say they tried to mute God. Their hearts were callous. So I want to pause in this and say, was this only for Israel a problem or is it also for us today? What have the effects been for your life when you have forgotten God's word? When you haven't gone to God's word? When God's word has not been the main author and the authority in your life for how to navigate life? 
for what to value, for how to make decisions. What has happened to your life? Well, I know for me, when I have grown numb to God's word, when I have muted or softened his voice in my life, it produces destruction. God's word is essential for faith in all times, but especially in trying times. I'm going to say that one more time. Loving God's word, loving God's word is an act of loving God. Why do you say that? Do you worship the book? I don't worship the book, but the essence of God's word paints the picture of who God is. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And so when we open God's word and love his word, we love his instructions. We love what he says. There's no dichotomy. There's no splitting God and his word. Just like a father who gives a word to his son to help him. If his son says, I hate your word, but I love you, daddy. It would be a false split. And so It's a reminder to us right now, reading from Habakkuk, that when God's people forget his word, when his church forgets his word, does not love his word, it also is representative of them not loving God. And it has has dire consequences that affect society. We see them here. Injustice. We see arguing and fighting. We see evil deeds. We see the courts have no justice. We see that the wicked start to outnumber the righteous. And perversion comes to a culture, a society. Many examples of that in our day and age. But not looking outside, I want us to think about the church of God. Many examples in the church of God that are very comparable to Israel. That when we have forgotten God's word and we do not love his word, apply his word, and do his word, we become a corrupt people, corrupted by our sins. You see, when God's word is drowned out, okay, God, I don't want to hear it. God's community drowns then consequentially in all kinds of evil. Let me say that one more time. When God's word is drowned out, By many other distractions, many other pieces of news, many other viewpoints, many other false teaching, when the purity of God's word is drowned out, then God's community will drown in all kinds of evil. A numbness of heart to God's word is like spiritual frostbite. It numbs the soul and people get hurt. You see, when you're numb, you don't know when you cut yourself. If someone else is numb and you cut them, they don't even know you got cut. And that describes the picture of what Israel was at this time. They had forgotten God's word. They had forgotten a love for God. And consequently, they were cutting each other with a culture of spiritual frostbite and numbness. God does not sit there and say, I'm going to let this go on. And yet that's what Habakkuk was feeling. Habakkuk was saying, how long will I see this? So God has an answer for this. And that goes into Habakkuk chapter 1, 5 through chapter 2, verse 1. So we start to see God's answer. We start to see his reply. And we see Habakkuk's response to God's answer. It wasn't what he was expecting. (laughs) Check out how... uh, God answers him. He says in verse 5, the Lord replied to Habakkuk saying, how long? He said, look around at the nations, look and be amazed for I am doing something in your day. 
something you wouldn't believe, even if I told you about it. So see, in the background, God was working in the trials of Israel's day. God was still working. He was still seeing Israel. Now, this tells you something about God. God could have turned his back on Israel and would have been justified. They had turned their back on him. But God in his covenant said, I still love them. I am going to clean up my kids. So it was probably a relief for Habakkuk to hear, oh, God is here. Okay, God is answering me. He's having a dialogue with me. Okay, so you are here. So God, tell me what you are going to do. God says, you're not going to believe it, but I am raising up, verse 6, he says, I'm raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people, to deal with Israel. They're going to be my tool to clean up the mess that you don't like. (laughs) How do you think Habakkuk responded to God's reply? He responded by saying, what? The Babylonians are worse than us. The Babylonians are worse than us. This might remind you of the book of Jonah. The difference is Habakkuk was different than Jonah because he didn't run from God's answer. He continued to talk with God. And as we'll see as the book progresses, he actually accepted his answer. But at first he was dumbfounded. He was in disbelief. God gave him a, it started to give him a, a heavenly schooling about how God works. You see, every time we read the word, we always learn a couple of basic things. We learn more about who God is. We learn more about human beings, who we are. And we learn more about what God is doing in history. And so God's answer here was that he would use the Babylonians to clean up his own people. So a people worse, as Habakkuk said, will devour the southern kingdom of Judah. God is using, but he's not endorsing the Babylonians' behavior, their sin, or their culture, but he is using them because he deeply cares for his people Israel. We'll talk about a point there. In verse 11, I want to point your eyes to that. In verse 11 from chapter 1, it says, But they are deeply guilty that they there is the Babylonians, for their own strength is their God. So let me pause there. Israel's strength was not God anymore. They muted God's voice. We don't want to hear from you, God, anymore. And because that, society became evil. Without God's light and his love fleshed out into the culture through them. At the same time, Israel's testimony about being God's people was now paralyzed as well. Do you see the chain reaction? If you don't love God and you don't love his word, then it affects your testimony not only to each other within God's people, within the church in our day, and it also affects and paralyzes your testimony outside. And God would not stand this. And so he sent a people as an instrument to tease out their own uh, ways. Put put it this way. He used a, a worse evil to show them how bad the evil was in Israel. See, their own strength was their God, and Israel knew that, and they were going to be used as a tool to say the same thing back to Israel, just as the Babylonians have chosen their own strength 
as their God, their wealth, their violence, their nationalistic pride, their, their, uh, uh, their renown, their fame, all these things, the, their immorality, their gods, just the way they do that. Israel, guess what? It's a finger pointing back to you. You have done the same thing. You give me lip service like you love me, but you're just like the Babylonians. You're also unrighteous. In verse 12, Habakkuk responds back to them, responds back, I'm sorry, responds back to God. And he's dumbfounded uh, by God's plan now. So he wanted a plan. God used the plan. God told him his plan. And yet he was then dumbfounded by his plan. Have you ever been there? Habakkuk says in verse 12b, the later part, O Lord, our rock. You have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Will you wink at how bad they are while they destroy us? Chapter 2, verse 1 continues, but I will wait to see what the Lord says. You see, that's what I mentioned before. His response, his disbelief was different than Jonah's. He didn't run from God in his plan he stayed with God in relationship. This is an act of faith to say, God, I don't, I don't understand exactly your plan or how you're using these trials, but I'm going to trust you. And that is faith. Makes you think of the verse that says, without faith, it is impossible, right, to what? To please God. From the New Testament, right, from Hebrews. That's applied here. He waits and he listens and he says, God, I don't understand it all, but I'm going to trust in you. I don't need the whole blueprint, but I'm going to wait and I'm going to trust in you. Doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to trust in you because you're God and I'm not. See, that is part. That's a core thing for not just Habakkuk and Israel, but for the Christian walk. God doesn't give us the blueprint in details for what will happen. God doesn't give us the blueprint in details for what will happen next week. A month ago, we didn't even know we'd be dealing with a global pandemic like we are. And yet, was God there? And is he here now? And is he here a month from now? He is. And we will trust in God. You see, the one thing that remains trustworthy is what he says here, the rock. You see that proclamation of trust even when he's perplexed? In verse 12, it says, O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish our many sins. You see, here's a difference. This is a side point. From those that follow Jesus Christ and when trials hit, and for those that follow Jesus Christ and when trials hit, they don't respond in trust. There's, there's kind of two groups as tri- as tr- when trials come. One that says, I will wait, I will hear, I don't understand it all. I'm perplexed, God, but I know that you're trustworthy. You're still my rock, and I'm going to wait. That's faith. Then those that when troubles come, makes you think about Jesus' parable. When troubles come, when the worries of the world come, when disease and tragedy and economic strife and relational strife or temptations and immorality come, They say, ah, I want to run away. See, there's a difference there. 
Habakkuk shows us already that he is leaning in toward faith and not a lack of faith. He is leaning toward trusting God. Let me make one point here. Why would God use the greater evil? Well, I covered it a little bit a few minutes ago, but God can and will use by any means necessary even a greater evil to expose, clean, and purge the unrepentant evils of our accumulated sin, of our accumulated crutches of independence, arrogance, immorality, and sources of confidence and false worship. Let me break that down in a more simple way. We accumulate, we accumulate false gods all the time. You can say, I trust God with my finances, but if your bank account went way down low, that is truly when the training wheels come off to see if you trust as God as your provider. You could say, I trust God in any one of his attributes, but it's when that attribute is tested that you're seeing if you still believe God is who he is, the rock and the Lord of your life. It's easy to give lip service to faith in God, but it's trials that test if it's truly genuine. And God will use even evils, even trials to clean up his kids because he loves us that much. God loves his kids too deeply to ignore the cancer that we often can't see, referring to our sin, as a result of denying his word and doubting his will. This wasn't just an Israel problem. This is our problem. This is our leaning. To say, God, I loved your word once. Ah, but now let's go away this way. Let me follow my own way. Let me pause and say this, that we live in a day and age when I don't know how many Christians actually love the Word of God. You say, how can you say that, Esteban? That's so judgmental. Well, it comes from a place of me asking myself that same question. Time shows what we value. And I believe so much of our time is given over to other people's words instead of to our own words so often. And it shows us that we devalue the word of God. That's a slippery slope. Habakkuk calls us back to not deny his word or to doubt God's will, but to claim as Lord and rock over our life. Let's get back into the conversation here. Um, God answers um, um, Habakkuk's second complaint. And he says this in, in chapter 2, 2 through 4. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, God, the Lord replies to, to um, Habakkuk as, the, as Habakkuk waits for his second answer. And this is what the Lord says. He goes, now I need you to write this down. Write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the message to others. This is chapter 2, verse 3. The vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. You see, God's answers often don't work at our timetable. How many of you all are feeling impatient during this time of quarantine, right? How, how many of you are feeling inconvenienced? Our whole schedule has been changed up. Well, spiritually speaking, when we look around and see the evil in Israel, our Israel, our church, 
our church body, the church of Christ globally, or we look out among the nations that, that don't follow Christ, right, those who are non-believers, we can get impatient and say, God, are you working? God has an answer, and he told Habakkuk here, for our day now, write this down. I have a plan. Although it seems slow in working, I will accomplish it. The Lord uh, God says this very clearly in chapter 2. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. The vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. But look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Now that's a key verse here for this book. The righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. In verse 220, he goes on to say, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Now I want to pause and back up. What does chapter 2 give us? What does the Lord's last reply do? It says this, look, I'm dealing with Israel through the Babylonians. And then, and then Habakkuk says, but the Babylonians are so wicked. And, and, and God comes back and says, listen, I'm going to take care of the Babylonians too. So just to back up, we've been in this conversation, and it's like, God, are you here? Will you take care of Israel? We're so corrupt. God shows up, says, I am here. I will take care of them. I'm going to take care of them through the evil Babylonians. So then Habakkuk says, but God, they're so evil. Are you going to wink at all the bad stuff they do? And God says, no, I won't. I'm going to use them for a time to purge Israel, right? But I will also deal with them. And so God deals with all the characters here that he is speaking to or about. He deals with Habakkuk. He's talking to him. He deals with unrighteous Israel. He's going to clean up Israel through the Babylonians. And he will also deal with the evil Babylonians as well. So a point that I want to really look at right here, this is applied not only to Habakkuk's day, but to our day. When we look around and see the evil in the church or outside of us, we can say, how long, O Lord? And God says, I have a plan. It seems like it's slow in coming, but I do have a plan. You see, God's plan is bigger than us, and that's where we can express faith. Faith is based on God's promises in his word, and it's applied to every day and age. That's why we can't forget the value of God's word. We can believe that God has a plan even while trials are coming against us, and he is accomplishing his will in us through those trials. The righteous have to live by faith. And that is expressed by looking at his bigger plan. Even if it feels slow in coming, God has a plan for this world, this corrupt world, corrupted by disease, corrupted by sin, corrupted by the enemy, the devil, and his, his minions that are wreaking havoc. But he does have a plan. And in the same way that he told Habakkuk, I have a plan, as he said, in the future day, I will accomplish this. He will accomplish it in a future day for us as well. The day of the Lord will come. And he will use, he will judge the nations just like he says, I will judge Babylon. You see, Babylon here is also a, a archetype. It's, a, it's an example for what all nations have become. And you might say, well, what have all nations become? The key verse is this. They trust in their strength. They trust in their own strength. They don't trust in God. You see, 
We as Christians are called to trust in God as our main strength. And when we get away from that, and we don't trust in the Word of God, and we don't trust in God's presence and His principles, what happens is we default to trusting in our own crutches, in our own small gods, in our own things that make us feel safe, in our own little small idols. And God will clean us of that. But He also says to the world that doesn't turn to Him, You have trusted in all these things. You have done all these evil and judgment is to come. And you see that in a list that I won't go through all right now. But you see him establishing a a sense of confidence in Habakkuk and saying, look, I'm going to deal with the Babylonians as well. Those who don't come to me, I will deal with their injustice, their evil and their violence, their immorality and them worshiping their own strength. They will fall. They will fall. You know, I think it's good to pause when you get to the end of the dialogue in chapter 2 and look at the last line in verse 20. As I read it before, it says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Let me do a little bit of a summary of these first two chapters. The evilness in Israel, which I would compare to the church, God's people, And the evilness in the world will all be dealt with. Why? Because God is in his holy temple. And what does he direct us to do? Let all the earth be silent before him. God's plan may seem slow in coming. God may seem absent in our lives, especially when trials hit. But he is not absent. He is using trials, and in trials, we can bring our perplexity to him, and it will result in a moment where he says, be still and know that I am God. You see, God is gracious in giving us his answers to a certain degree, but there comes a degree where his ways are higher than our ways and his plans are higher than our plans. I will compare that to now. I think when we look around, we don't know exactly what God is doing in the nations in the particular details of it. How is he using this global pandemic? How does he use suffering? How does he use trials to purge his church? How is he using these things? Well, he does establish this. He's winning people back to himself. He's cleaning the church just like he did Israel. And we have to trust him that his plan is bigger than our present moment. And that's where we exercise faith. I want to come to chapter 3 where you see Habakkuk turn in his expression to God. It's no longer complaining, but it's him. It's a hymn. It's a, it's a song of praise. It's, a, it's chapter 3 of Habakkuk. is like a, a psalm that you would read from the psalms of just praising God because he came to be in silence before God. And he realized that God's plan was bigger than him, that God was present. And it birthed faith in him and this righteous psalm that he sings out. This is what he says here. I'm going to read verse, verse chapter 3, verse Um, 1 and 2, and then on I'll skip ahead toward the end of the chapter, 16 uh, through 19. 
This is what Habakkuk responds with God and says, I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled by awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. See, it's a very different mentality. God took Habakkuk from perplexity, wrestling with God, to saying, I see you, God. I hear you, God. Your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your purposes are greater than my purposes. Even when you use evil to clean us up, you still have the they have the, the macro view in mind, and you know what you're doing. He says, I'm, with, I'm in awe of your amazing works. And that applies to us today when we go through trials. God has a purpose for those trials, even if we don't see the intent purpose day by day in them, in the details. He has a grand purpose for them. Habakkuk continues to say, to sing in verse 16, I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave beneath me and I shook in terror. He realized that God's plan was greater than himself and it created a stillness of peace and a submission. Some of the most beautiful lyrics of submission to God, acceptance of God's will, are found here in Habakkuk chapter 3. Listen to what he says in verse 17. I think it will touch your heart and make you think of your own lives. Can we sing this now, family of God? Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, what is he saying? Even though all these things are not happening even though all the, the, the commodities and the good things of life are not present, he says this, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as the deer, able to tread upon the heights. And that is where Habakkuk resolves That is where the conversation ends. It ends in prayer and praise. It ends in stillness and peace. Were the Babylonians still coming? Yes. He says that in chapter 3. I know I will wait here. They will invade. Your will will be done. But I recognize that in trials, you have a greater plan than me. I recognize that I can express my faith in you, God, even when the world seems chaotic. You are my rock and my Lord. And what is that birth? In God's people, it births this faith, it births righteousness, and it births prayer and rejoicing. It produces a trust in God. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Doesn't that sound like James 1? Consider it pure joy when you face various trials because what will it produce? It will produce faith, enduring faith, a faith that will last so this is my final, uh, or not my final, but this is my, my, my final observation of Habakkuk right here and my exhortation, my, 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 my encouragement to you. You may be perplexed in your faith with God right now. God, where are you? What are you doing? What are you doing in the church? What are you doing in the world? Let your perplexity be brought to God. Don't run from God like Jonah. Don't run from him. Come to him like Habakkuk. Be a righteous person and show your faith by coming to God and dialoguing with him. 
There's complex issues in the world, but God gives us simple, profound answers in our daily life. Those answers are trust in his word, his promises, pray to him. This is very experiential. You have God and Habakkuk talking back and forth. Guess what? We also have been given prayer. We're told to come before the throne of God with full confidence and talk to God, sing to God. So if you're perplexed at home, if you're alone or you're with your family, you're feeling overwhelmed, you're saying, God, where are you? This is my encouragement to you. Shut everything off. Don't drown out the word of God. Trust in God. Talk to him. He's real. Don't treat him like he's just a theory on a shelf. God is real in our day and age, just like he was with Habakkuk, and he wants to talk to you. He wants you to wrestle through your perplexity, your your waning faith, your fears, all of those things. Talk to him. He's a relational God. He knows your frame. Don't shut him up like Israel did here. Don't shut him up. Let him speak into your life. Read his word, grab his promises, and sing to him like Habakkuk did. You are my Lord. You are my rock. I will rejoice in the Lord no matter what is happening. You are my rock. I don't trust in my finances. I don't trust in my political leaders. I don't trust in in, in my own strength. I don't trust in how I plan my future. I trust in God because he will never change. Can we say that, church of God? Because that is what God wants from us, a pure faith with no idols and no crutches, but one that says, God is my provider. God is my redeemer. God is my savior. God is my all in all. God is my soon and coming king. God is my main political leader. God determines the steps of my life. God is my Jehovah Rapha. God is my provider. God is my healer. God, 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 God. It's all based on who God is. He's not just a theological book on a shelf. He's a living God that wants the family of God to remember again that he is talking. He wants time with us. And he wants us to trust in him. If we can't go through trials and place our faith in him in the most toughest of times, then we do not have faith at all. Those who truly trust in God seem so simple and plain to say, they actually trust that God lives, talks, is around gave them promises, fills them with with his spirit. They trust in all the things that God says about himself here. And they're not just academic. They're not just for the good times. They're not just for church culture. No, they are for you personally. They are for your family. They are for your community because God lives. And the core of Christianity is saying this. I know that God, the God of the Bible, is the only God and he lives no matter what happens is happening in the world around me. No matter what the news says, no matter what politicians say, no matter what the weakness and the emotions of my heart say, God is still my Lord and my rock. And that is what God wants. It is impossible to believe 
or please God without a true faith. And the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. One final word of encouragement. You might say, you didn't talk about Jesus Christ here. There is a reference to him here. Uh, It talks about God's anointed. But all of this points us to the object of our faith. You can have faith in, in whatever you want, that anything could save you. Uh, Babylonians had faith in their own strength. Israel had grown in placing faith in false gods in their own strength. Habakkuk resolved to say, no, my faith is in the object of my faith, the Lord and rock of my life. So this is pointing us to Jesus Christ for sure. All of the scriptures speak to Jesus Christ. So one more word. When we walk through perplexing times and trials in our life, they point us to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has gone through it all. So he knows when we pour out our souls to him and we dialogue with him, he knows what we're going through. I want you to consider this. We hate when sin wins. We hate when sin wins in our culture and we hate when sin wins in the church. Christ hates it more. And he will clean and purge us. That's not just Old Testament. That's New Testament too. Ananias and Sapphira, 1 Corinthians, you talk about it. God will want to clean our sin, even sometimes with a greater evil, to point out the evil that is killing us, the cancer of sin in our lives. So let's be clean. If God is using something in your life and he's saying, repent, repent. Maybe he's using a trial to say, wake up, repent, be clean. It's because he loves you and he hates sin. In his people. And he loves us that much to get that cancer out. Another word about Jesus Christ. We fear suffering. That's a common reaction. None of us wants to suffer. Neither did Jesus Christ. But Christ suffered and died. We fear death. Christ was the victory over death. We fear death in the pandemic. Why? Because suffering and death, God is the answer over that. Through Jesus Christ, he gives us life and life eternal. We want no more pain. Well, Christ will provide that one day. But his, his promise and his plan may seem slow in coming, but it's coming. There will be a world without disease, without pain, without sin, and without the enemies of the devil, the flesh, and demons. There will be no brokenness. It is coming. Trust in the Lord. On that future day, it will come. When the day of the Lord comes, his people will discover the new heaven and the new earth. Read Revelation. It is coming. Just like Habakkuk heard from him, it is coming. God is accomplishing his plan. What does Peter say? A thousand days is like one day to the Lord and one day is like a thousand days. Why do we continue to go through trials? Because God is saving more people. God is saving more people. Today, through this global pandemic, through all the trials and suffering happening in the world, he's still saving people, and he knows how to accomplish his plans. Lastly, we want life as it should be. Christ achieved that, and he's going to give it to us. Life will be as it should be again one day, without pain, without suffering, without tear, without enemies. It will happen. Trust in the Lord. The righteous will live by faith. The trials take off our our training wheels to show that we can really express faith in Christ and we can shine. Through trials, often our testimony is purified, our love for God is purified, and then our testimony outward to other people, what they see in our life is purified. And that is my prayer through these struggles, through these days, 
that the church of Christ across the world would be purified and what we are worshiping and what we are giving our time to and what we are giving our love to, to remember what matters most, God's presence, his people, his word, and doing, being witnesses of Christ to the world. May it energize our evangelism, may it deepen our discipleship, and may it grow the church, not a building, but his people across the world. I want to end with this scripture that I've been referencing this whole time and then with a word of prayer. Dear brothers and sisters, James 1, 2 through 5, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete needing nothing. If you need wisdom for hard days, ask our generous God, like Habakkuk said, give me wisdom. He didn't say it that way, but that's what he was saying. What are you doing? Give me wisdom. What's happening? And James reaffirms us, if you need wisdom in this day, today, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, just like he didn't rebuke Habakkuk. But when you ask, be sure that your faith, your trust is in God alone, not in the structures of the world or your own strength like the Babylonians. Our strength can't be trusted, but the Lord, our God, and our rock can be trusted. He is strong. He is strong. Persevere in faith. Show faith in these troubled times. Show faith. By acting in love, by falling in love with the word of God again, falling in love with God again, (laughs) and living it out in love to your neighbor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that trials are kind of like when a volcano erupts and the lava pours out. (laughs) It kills everything, and yet through that, it births an either even greater, more fruitful forest, a more fruitful forest harvest. (laughs) And we know that this is a process in our lives, that when the trials like lava come into our lives and seem to burn away, God, everything, what they're doing is they're burning away the weeds so that you can purify us, you can purify our faith and our endurance, and you can purify our trust in you, that it will not be in other things or our own strength, our money, our, our, our status, our convenience, our comfort, our identities, but that it would be in the Lord our God and nothing else. God, I pray that you would purify the testimony of your church, not just here at Edgewater in Chicago, but across the world, so that we would be known for being God's people again, and that testimony would make the awareness of God's glory, as it says in Habakkuk, to flood the nations that God is real and he's calling people into his family by faith in Jesus Christ purify our testimony, remind us what is right, remind us what is true, remind us what is valuable, Uh, um, help us to rediscover the value of your word so that it would be a mighty dynamite, God, for us to uh, explode into uh, a dynamic faith to our culture, Lord, to our community, we pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, God, for the small but potent book in Habakkuk that reminds us that the righteous live by faith in God, by nothing else, 
but by faith in God, and you are faithful to us. We rejoice even when we are perplexed. We give you space to speak to us. And would you turn our perplexity, our doubts, our confusion, and our fear into praise, rejoicing, and songs. A living testimony that God is real and he loves his people. In your name, Jesus Christ, we pray and know that you are coming back one day. And we look forward to that day. Amen.